Welcome to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve you and empower you to make better financial decisions in your life. Today, I've got great news for you. If you like to hit the road and take a vacation in an RV or equivalent creature, creature, that was a funny way to say it. Later, does it make sense from time to time to hire a travel agent? How do you know when you should hire a travel agent and how you should hire one? We're going to talk about that. So the RV market, and when I say RV, I mean all different shapes and sizes. And most RVs are often referred to as fifth wheels. They're things that attach to the back of a car, most often a pickup truck or whatever. But then they're all the way to like full buses and everything in between. That market went bonkers during the COVID unbelievable the demand and the run-up in prices of both new and used RVs. And like so many other things, we're in a pivot now. The sales of RVs are way down. The inventory levels of what's available, both new and used, way up. You know, it's always in life with something that's a fully discretionary item. If you can zig when everybody else is zagging, you're going to get the savings. And that's where we are right now with the RV market, is that especially with used RVs, because the demand has has fallen so much, you'll find there are people who bought an RV in 20 or 21. Maybe they used it once or twice, so they're virtually brand new. And then they were like, hey, you know, we never use this thing. Why do we have this thing? And then they're selling into the teeth of a market that has gone soft. So this is an area for you if you, let's say you've been into RVing forever, you may be able to upgrade if that's what you want to do because you use it all the time to one that's newer and doesn't have a lot of prior use on it. Or maybe you've wanted to get one, but you couldn't afford one. Now may be your opportunity. And now I'm going to step into something that's going to, oh man, I'm going to step into controversy. I apologize. Question is, do you buy one that's a full RV with its own motor and all the rest? Or do you buy an RV that you tow behind another vehicle? So for your wallet, it's usually better to have one that's a tow behind instead of one that's a full RV because you've got all the mechanicals of the engine, everything involved with transmission, everything in that vehicle, and it becomes a really expensive and potentially time-consuming repair when you have to repair it. So if money is what matters, you get one that's towed by something that has a motor instead of one that self-propels, it has its own motor. I know that will upset some people that I said that, and I'd love to hear your responses to it. Krista? Okay, Robin in Georgia says, Clark, thank you for your genuine interest in helping people. I have a tough question. How do you tell your spouse that you want to split financial responsibility so that it's 50-50? Does that ever work? We've been married for 20 years and have tried everything and still living paycheck to paycheck 
with decent incomes, around 210000 per year. Your advice would be a lifesaver. So right now, one of you is carrying more of the must-pays every month than the other, and you're both broke at the same time as a result, because one likes, I'm reading between the lines here, one of you loves to do lifestyle kind of purchases and has no money left over, and the other, you, you're paying for all the monthly expenses and there's no money left over, and you're right at an income of over 200000 a year, you should be in a position where you're not living paycheck to paycheck. But as I shared recently, one in four people approximately who were high income earners are living paycheck to paycheck. And at that level, it is uh, what's referred to as a people problem, not a money problem. So just having an isolated conversation about the 50-50 is not where I'd start. I really feel, and I'm going out on a limb here because uh, there's things I'm presupposing and I don't know, but as a general rule in a situation like this where you don't feel comfortable talking with your spouse about the spending issues, I think it would be really great for you instead to suggest that you sit down either by virtual or in person with a uh, financial counselor and talk through better ways to handle your money. Now, the best way to do this is through a nonprofit, a legitimate nonprofit called the National Foundation for Credit Counseling. And they actually have trained professionals that will go over there. You'll fill out these forms that show your money, your expenses, all of that. And then they'll go over with you how to right the ship, how to get to where you're not only surviving, but you get to where you're thriving financially. If you go to nfcc.org, there you can see how it works, how to make an appointment. And a lot of their services are free. Even, even if you pay something, it's really, really cheap. But the key is both of you have to be on board about doing it. And I think the way you do it is not when there's a flashpoint with, oh, here's this bill again. It's just, you know, I really am thinking about our future and I'm worried how we're going to be financially okay in the future. And you express your worry about that and that you'd really love to talk with an expert about it and so in a completely non-threatening way, you, you create this conversational environment to try to get a buy-in because both of you have to buy in to sitting down with somebody and talking through goals and objectives, where you are now, and how to get to those goals and objectives. Strike while the iron is cold, as they say. In other words, never bring up something like this when it's a flashpoint argument. Right, right. Not Thank a you. heated argument. It's called Strike While the Iron is it's Cold. Tim in California says, I have the Halo app and tracker, and it is now discontinued. What does Clark recommend as a replacement? I loved it. Tim, I am so sorry. Not enough other people love the Halo series from Amazon. Amazon recently, because of trying to improve their profitability, they're discontinuing a lot of their own house brand electronics laying off a lot of people who worked in that area. 
and casting you loose. And this is that crazy thing where you have a device, like I have my Aura Fitness Ring. I bought this ring, where is my wedding band? And it tracks my health 24 hours a day, every day of the year, and gives me a daily report. If Aura goes bust, I then have a ring that is useless other than turning out to be a really expensive wedding band because I replaced my $12 wedding band with this $300 Aura. You face the same thing. You now have a Halo device that, poof, is just electronic waste at this point. So as you look for alternatives, you've got, I'd say, two ways to really think about this. You can get a device that's that's a dedicated fitness tracker, Garmin or Fitbit. Garmin is for people that are really, really serious about fitness and exercise. And Fitbit is for people who want to become more fit. They, they serve different markets, really. Or you can go the other, which is having an Apple Watch or a Samsung Watch or a Google Watch that they all offer health and fitness functions in it, but it's kind of an afterthought, not what they're really about. And the good news with many of these is you won't have a monthly subscription with them for the health tracking that they offer. And you can buy used even Aura rings. If you, I mean, Aura does have a subscription, but um, those devices, a lot of people try them for a few days or they never even get the box open and then they resell them on eBay and other places. So what am I going to do when this one dies? Because I'm, I'm grandfathered in with no subscription. I don't know. It's going to be very upsetting having to pay a monthly fee. Yeah. Okay. Ken in Texas says, my new Goldman Sachs Apple Titanium credit card has no numbers That's on either mouthful. side. Yeah. I've never heard the Apple card referred to as the Goldman Sachs Apple Titanium credit card. It has no numbers on either side. I understand it's designed to be used with Apple Pay. So I added it to my Apple wallet. Still, in the wallet, it shows no account number, no expiration date, and no CVV. Does this mean I'm restricted to using the card only at Apple Pay terminals and can never use it to pay for online purchases? So you can use the Apple card to buy things at point of sale, you know, in retail stores, because it's all electronic. And the numbers there, uh, if I remember right, the Apple card generates a unique Mm -hmm. one-time use number each time. And so it'll work like any other credit card. You just earn more reward money if you pay through Apple Pay using that card. And the whole thing, Apple is trying to tie people even tighter to their ecosystem, trying to tie you in. And that's why it's all about using Apple Pay. So on the issue of what happens when you want to use it for online purchases, do you find something, Krista? I did. So it says that you can find a virtual card number in your wallet app and they use MasterCard as the global payment system. So for online merchants that don't take Apple Pay, that's how you can pay. So if you go into your app, your Apple card. So it'll have a one-time use only number that will rotate Mm -hmm. and you use that with online merchants that don't take Apple Pay. So they thought of everything. But remember, remember, it's all about you using Apple Pay 
in order to get the greatest rewards from the card. Now, coming up ahead, travel agents almost went extinct. But travel agents are becoming more and more important, and the industry is growing again. And the question is, why? Why would you use a travel agent? And if you decided the answer was, yeah, my situation fits that, how would you know who to hire? We'll talk that through. I was thinking about this with some of the questions that have come in with the revenge travel that's been going on, where a lot of people have been doing more travel than normal maybe doing more exotic trips than they historically have done, and then people will end up in a bit of a bind. So I wanted to explain an industry that used to be such a big industry in the United States and almost vanished and now is a real thing again. You may or may not know that going way back in the Wayback Machine, when I was very young, I opened a travel agency that became a chain of agencies and it's actually the business I was in that I sold to someone and retired at age 31 that was my first retirement never intended to work again weird story how I ended up doing what I do now but when I was a travel agent and when I ran travel agencies owned travel agencies the business was completely different there was no internet And if you wanted to take a trip, you wanted to book it, whatever, you needed a travel agent because the computer systems were frightfully expensive per month. And it was all in what are known as mnemonics, where you had to go to school to learn how just to type in an inquiry on the travel agency computers. It was a very, very different kind of thing. And so travel agents issued tickets, they booked the hotels, they did all that stuff. Well, then as the internet rose up, the whole nature of the business changed and people who didn't adapt, they died because you weren't needed to just do transactions. The travel agency business kind of held on much smaller than it had been before, but now it's growing again because even though we have the tools of the internet to book our own travel, when you're doing the kind of journey you're unfamiliar with. Let's say you're going to a reserve in Africa or you're doing an exotic trip at a remote location or you've never taken a trip overseas and you don't really know how to start, how to do it. There are very experienced people who've been through proper education that are certified to be able to help you build a trip, plan a trip, and deal with the uh-ohs that can happen on that trip. So there are a number of sources that we have listed on a how to find a good travel agent item on Clark.com, organizations that you can get recommendations from. But my favorite is your friends that take exotic trips and all that. You ask them if they use a travel agent, who they use. Because then word of mouth is one of the best ways for you to find someone. Now, here's the way it works today, typically. You can also find someone who has various certifications as a travel agent. But I really like the friend thing or the various steps we talk about on Clark.com. But you will be paying that travel agent money 
as an hourly rate, like you'd pay an accountant or a lawyer. An exception to that would be like a cruise specialist who earns significant commissions from the cruise line in order to book the cruise. And you do have some of the inherent conflicts I talk about with like investment people is that in that case, they may steer you towards a cruise that's offering, you know, bonus commissions or whatever. But generally, people that work in this business have such a joy about it. What they're recommending, they're recommending because they love it. They've experienced it. And they want you to have that same joy. So the reason you hire a travel agent to plan your trip and to be there when you have an oops when you're on that trip is because you realize at some point it is too complicated. Krista, I think your situation was a perfect example with the family trip that your family's taking this summer. I can't even imagine how many hours you've spent planning the trip and yeah. it's kind of overwhelmed you at times. It's it's a lot. I mean, it's fun too to to find everything, but I'm really glad I have. I use the app TripIt. I really love that app. What do you use to keep track of your travel plans? My brain. Didn't you used to use Kayak? Had like a. I did, but I now I just. Oh wow! Yeah. Well, I mean, there's there's like so, a, like three let's parts. Let's hope I don't of mess trip. up. My yeah. brain malfunctions. Will you I have help a meltdown? You helped me a lot. I was getting really stuck on one part of the trip, and you were like, "You need to keep it simple." Like you kind of had an intervention with me. But and you're so. yeah, you were you were really <laughs> overthinking, um, but. But the thing is, what you won't have, other than your own resources and trying to find me wherever I am, is if something does go wrong, you won't have that expert travel agent you can turn to and say, help, this is going on, I don't know what to do. And you would not have had to spend the zillion hours you've spent trying to plan this with all four of you coming different ways from mm-hmm. different places. Wow. Yeah. It's going to be a lot. It's going to be interesting. I'm excited about it. But now that I'm through with the planning, I just look forward to it. You're just excited. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. We'll go to questions. Joe in Georgia says, is there any recourse for losing money on non-refundable travel expenses due to the government not processing passport applications in a timely manner? We planned our honeymoon for June and applied for passports in February. When we applied, the routine processing time was 8 to 11 weeks. It went up to 10 to 13 weeks in March. Now we are 15 weeks in with no progress on getting a passport. Our rental in the Bahamas has a no refund policy. This is such a frustration. Grace of our crew Mm -hmm. has a trip booked with her two kids and their passports have been MIA since, is it March? I think it's since March. And... The trip's getting closer and closer. The trip's now less than two weeks away. No passports. It is just unreal. And by the way, the U.S. Passport Office has been messed up for so many years. Started getting messed up around 2018 and has never gotten it together. And I just don't know why is it other countries are able to function and issue passports to their citizens. And we have so much trouble doing this in the United States. There were just hearings in Congress and the Secretary of State 
was testifying about this and said that it was COVID related. But the problem started before COVID, said that they had laid off a lot of contractors that are involved in processing passports. And with the labor shortages, they haven't been able to rebuild experience and enough people. And maybe that's part of it. But this problem predated COVID. It's insane. Maybe it needs an accountable agency within the State Department. Because Secretary of State's got a lot of big things to be doing without taking calls from from old friends that say, hey, I got a trip going on and I can't get my passport. Who you should reach out to, and if you've not done so yet, Joe, do this right away. If you don't know who your congressman is, figure out who your congressman is for your district. Call your member of Congress's district office, which will be a local office near you. Call them. They'll add you to their queue of people they're trying to advocate for getting passports who've been out. I mean, you applied in February. February. Although I think the trip has already passed, so I think it's too late for him right now, but for other people. I wonder what happened. Wow. For you, if you're one of the people like Joe or you're like Grace and your passport's just lost in space, call the congressman's office because it seems that when you do that, It pushes things along. It shouldn't work this way. We should be able to efficiently issue passports. It's a basic blocking and tackling function of governments since, I guess, the 1700s. And here we are in 2023, and we still can't get it done and get it done right. So Joe's question, he wants to know if there's any recourse because of the government not processing them. For I the don't know if spent. anybody's tried to sue yeah. the State Department for damages. Gosh, that would be a really interesting one. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you're even allowed. I mean, you'd have standing. Standing is where, and the federal courts are always looking at what's called standing which is you have to demonstrate that you were affected and you were harmed. Come to think of it, people sue the federal government for other things. That's really interesting. Sue the feds for your losses. But if you're applying for a passport, it's probably worth it to do expedited service at least right now if you have concrete travel plans coming up. And know that the time to go check to see what the expiration date on your passport is not when you're packing your suitcase. It's when you're booking your travel, you go and you check what the situation is with your passport. Know that most destinations, you have to have six plus months remaining on your passport when you arrive at the airport to check in for your flight. If you have less than six months remaining, you're going to get turned away in most cases. So passports really aren't for 10 years. They're really nine and a half years. Robin Illinois says, the woman I'm engaged to has a poor credit score. Five years ago, she went through bankruptcy and had some collection agencies she had to deal with. If I were to make her an unauthorized user on one of my credit cards, which has a $25,000 limit, would it help increase her score? I have an 835 credit score and pay my credit cards in full each month. Any suggestions on how to make her score increase would be great. 
And he says, I've listened to you for over 20 years. I've followed all of your advice. I'm 49 years old, 100% debt free. I've saved for my two kids in a 529 account and it will pay for both of their educations. I've maxed out my Roth IRA every year since I was 22. And I'm an educator that will have a very good pension when I retire. Thank you for all of your advice and your suggestions as I move forward. Wow. That's like full propaganda effect. 27 <laughs> years of listening to me. That was 20. That, oh, 20 years? Yeah. Wow. That's a long time. I'm glad that some of the ideas you heard from me, you've been able to put to work in your life and that it's given you this trajectory of financial independence that you will have at 57 years old, you'll be set for life. So your fiance, you can go ahead and make her an authorized user on your account with her history. Gosh, it's touchy. I would make her an authorized user. I would not give her the card that comes. I would just lend your good credit to her at this point, just because of various situations we've heard over the years. And she will definitely benefit from your solid credit reputation. So I think that'll work out great for her and no risk to you. Okay, and a quick travel question just for fun. Gary in Ohio says, I have an interest in seeing the Grand Canyon. Do you recommend going to Phoenix and taking a bus trip or going to Las Vegas and taking a bus trip? Do you recommend the spring or fall? How far in advance do you recommend buying airline tickets? Okay, that's a lot. You were a travel agent, so. I was. So Gary, first things, I want you to ditch the bus. I want you to rent a car and I want you to drive yourself. I don't want you hermetically sealed in a bus all the way from Vegas to the canyon or from Phoenix up to the canyon. It's a very, very different experience visiting the Grand Canyon from Las Vegas and that generally you're going to go to North Rim, which is more remote. It's more geared towards people that are serious hikers and adventurers. The more conventional experience of going to the Grand Canyon is coming to the South Rim. My thing with the South Rim, if you will go, uh, you can look at a map and you can see there's a large Native American reservation to the east-southeast, uh, encompassing the southeast corner of the Grand Canyon. It is, to me, the perfect compromise between North Rim and South Rim. Even if you continue along the South Rim and end up where all the crush of people are, is that if you look at a map coming up from Phoenix, you'll see the route I'm talking about that comes through the Indian Reservation. And as far as months, definitely September, October, much preferable to March, April, or May. Uh, There are several reasons for that. Let's just leave it at September, October would be a much preferable cycle to go to the canyon. Buying airline tickets. Airline ticket prices, after going way, way, way up, are starting to fall again. There are better and better deals on airline tickets right now. Time is going to be your friend. As far as how far in advance for a domestic trip, really somewhere around 25, 28 days, somewhere in there is a good sweet spot for buying domestic airline tickets. But I'd set up an alert on Google Flights, google.com slash flights, 
for your anticipated date cycle of when you want to go, and they will alert you every time there's fair movement. And there may be a window where the fares are so cheap, you say, got to buy this one, got to buy it now. And you'll love the canyon. I've been many, many times, and it's never enough for me. I hope the rest of your day is great. And know that what we're about is giving you different ideas that help you achieve financial independence. I want you to learn over time to save more, spend less, and avoid getting ripped off.